I'm not flying away just yet. I've got a couple things I need to say. <laughs> How's everybody doing this morning? So I got to know, is there anybody who's in the doghouse? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody? Always. Always. You know it's bad when the lady raises her hand and points at the guy. He might be completely oblivious. <laughs> uh. When uh, when Renee and I were dating, at least she thought we were. <laughs> you can see where this is going, and it's not going to be good. No, we were dating. Um, I just didn't know it. <laughs> or at least on Valentine's Day, I didn't remember it, and I didn't even call her. Yeah. So... Um, I was in the doghouse, I guess, for a while, but it, it, I had an excuse. I mean, scientifically speaking, men have brain damage. I mean, you can go to any biology class, and they'll tell you when the baby's being formed, you know, and hey, it's a boy, and the brain, like, stuff just starts tearing up in the brain. <laughs> it's a fact, okay? Um, so I just defaulted to that, and I said, blame God. Your job is to show me unconditional love and just be godly. No, I had to apologize profusely, but we're not here to talk about Valentine's Day. We're here to uh, kind of put the final piece in a puzzle. And really, in, in, the, in the long scheme of things, it's, it's one of the first puzzle pieces that we have to get right. This thing called communion, this thing called uh, the Lord's Supper, fellowship, community, love feast. If you're new with us, we've been going through a series called Revolution. See the graphic up on the screen, it has the word love in it. Revolution. We've been talking about a lot of ideas, we've, been, we've had a lot of thoughts, we've had a lot of practical application. And so what I wanted to do in this wrap-up is just kind of mention a couple of the things that we've been talking about, things that we've been dealing with. We kicked off revolution, revolution of a, of a heart, revolution of our mind, revolution of our spirit, guided by God's spirit to be able to actually not just change the way that we think, but hopefully the end result. See, we do the things that we think. That's how it works. And what I want you to get past is I want to get, get you past your, your socialization, you know, your behavior modification. That's not what we're talking about. You know, we're not talking about, you know, when you're sitting around a table in a restaurant, you know, it's, it's impolite to pass gas. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about behavior modification. We're talking about the change of heart that transforms us and makes our actions become more like the actions of Christ, to be able to become literally the, the tangible hand of Christ. Sounds a little impossible, doesn't it? But it is possible. It is possible. And this thing, revolution, it requires, 
It requires a paradigm shift. If you look it up, I, I, I did. I went to Merriam-Webster online and look up the word revolution, and there's actually like three or four different kinds of definitions. One, you know, we know revolution is something that's in orbit, this, this pattern that's formed, this cycle that is going through the motions, and, and there it is. It's a revolution. But then there's this revolution more along the lines of what we're talking about where it's, all right, a sudden change, a sudden break in the pattern. All of a sudden, things are not as they should be. Sometimes that's bad. Sometimes that's great. And then in the midst of this revolution, in the midst of this, this change, there, there has to be not just a change in structure, in organization, but there's literally a paradigm shift in the way that you think. There's literally a change that happens that all of a sudden, now I have some truth, now I have some kind of knowledge, now I have some kind of experience that I can no longer go back to what I knew before. I'm experiencing that right now. I just bought a Mac. <laughs> Mac users, you're like, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go back. I don't know. I don't know. But here in this revolution, in this paradigm shift, we talked about God's love, how it's a journey. It's not a destination. Our, 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 the extent of our love is not to fill up this room. The extent of our love is not to get to people to come to church, but it's actually a journey that we're on. It's actually uh, the destination is, is, is far, far in the future. The destination is something that is also far, far in the past. Adam and Eve sitting in the garden, hanging out with God in the cool of the day. Perfect, unbroken fellowship. Something we can only dream about. We can only speculate on. I couldn't even do it justice. But one day, the hope of our salvation, this hope that does not disappoint, will come true. Speculation won't be necessary. We'll be there. It's revolution mobilizing fully devoted followers of Christ. You see that little recycle symbol there for the O. Making, maturing, and mobilizing. Moving people forward and sharing this love and in, in, Putting action to our thoughts and to our ideas. And alongside this journey, we have sheep and we have goats. We have people in the same community who have come alongside and, and some of us are playing church. And some of us are being the church. And Jesus was pretty clear as He laid it all out there and He says, you know, some of you, 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 go, you have the right heart motive See, the differentiation really isn't the action. Sheep and goats can do the same kinds of things. The, the actions on the outside, the things that they're involved in, not necessarily what, what distinguishes them, but the heart is what distinguishes them. And so Jesus laid it out and he said, all right, we got the sheep. And you're, the sheep are the, are the ones that are out there. They've, they've encountered Christ in their mind and in their heart. They have submitted themselves to him in, in every way they can imaginably think of, or at least they're trying to. It's a daily battle, it's a daily journey, and, and that's their heart, to please God. And the goat says, you know what? I see a formula here. I see good people. I like good people. I want to be around good people. Don't you want to be around good people? Everybody likes good people. It's those bad people that we don't like. And so what happens is we, we become exclusive. And what happens is these goats, they take on this form of godliness, but they deny its power. 
You look at him and, all right, we've cast out demons in your name, Jesus. Take a look at Matthew 7. We have done miracles in your name, Jesus. We've done all of these good works, Jesus. And he says, I never knew you. You're you're a goat. Depart from me. So inside this journey, it's another thing that we have to encounter. We go, all right, what is my motivation? Is my heart a heart of selfishness that simply sees the reaping and sowing benefit of what's going on here? Hang out with good people? All right, get good things. It's an investment. And that's what we've boiled down our Christianity to, an investment? Oh, it's far more than that. We talked about our hands and whose hands are these? Whose hands are these? What is it that that I do with these hands? What is the fruit of, of my labor? What is it that my life produces that when people observe it, they go, all right, where does that fall in? What category is that in? What are we doing to truly be the tangible hand of Christ? Who do I glorify? How do I use these hands? We talked about richness and giving. Not just monetarily, but literally giving our first and our best to God. That's what a tithe is. A tithe is giving the first and the best of my heart, of my passions, of my time, of my money. And this is not some, you know, some teaching about how you should tithe. (laughs) Forget about it. You missed the point. This is about being fulfilled. It's about being satisfied. It's about growing. It's about loving. It's about finding our purpose. Richness in giving. And, and God has given us so much. And, and a lot of times what we did during that, during that session, you can go back and listen to the podcast if you want, but we, we talked about finding the line of where it is of the things that I need. All right, I need rent. I need a computer. I, I need to go out every once in a while. I need all these things. Finding that line, whatever it is, this is what I need. And then whatever is in excess of that, saying, all right, God, I've already tithed, but now I've established my need. And now what is the excess? What is it that you desire to do with the way that you've blessed me? See, I have excess. Does that mean, well, all right, well, I have a good running car, but I've got excess, so I can get fill in the blank. My computer's good enough, but, you know, it would be really nice if I could have this. And if we find ourselves in the, in the pattern of, of maybe every year we have to buy the new, the new latest thing, the latest model. We find ourselves, whenever the new gadget comes out, all right, there's this, the need never gets met. The need is pushed away by the want. And we can't be rich in giving when we're living by the things that we want. It's not possible. We talked about taking responsibility, establishing this, this new balance sheet. All right, now it's, it's not about, you know, these temporary fixes. What gets me through the day? What gets me through the month? It's not about, you know, just how I'm going to survive. But this is about the long-term goal. This is establishing a new balance sheet where I'm, I'm laying it out and said, you know what? I have to take responsibility for the things that God has given me. I am responsible. I, I can't place blame on somebody else because of you know, their impact in my life and my reaction to it. 
Because what we're talking about here is, is love. It's a love revolution. It's a revolution that impacts us on, on every single level, on our heart, on our mind, and on the things that we do, our actions, and our spirit. Jesus says that we'll be known, our, his disciples will be known by their love. And as we balance, put this new balance sheet together, as we take responsibility, as we, as we begin to give richly, as we take our hands and we move forward and go, all right, what is it that really that God has called me to do, specifically, individually, uniquely designed me to do? No one else can be you. God created you for his good pleasure. There's not another person walking the face of this earth that can be you. And believe me, you don't do very well at being other people. I don't either. It's a lie. It's a bad game with no winners. God has called us to this revolution of love, the setting up of God's economy, and Pastor Eric brought us to the place of last week where we set up the communion elements, but we didn't partake. And we asked ourselves the question, where are we feasting? Where is it in my life that I'm a little bit glutted? Where is it in my life that, that I have been oblivious or ignorant of the body of Christ around me that is withering and dying? Are there other parts of the body of Christ that, that I have excess that I should be giving to, that I, that I should be richly providing for their needs, that I should be waiting upon them, that I should be serving them, that I should be loving them unconditionally, and yet I can't see past my desire for an iPhone. And we go, wait a second. Where am I at? Am I, am I in this place of weighing out my actions? All right, go to church. Two points for me. Yep. That means I can get an extra appetizer at lunch. We'll even it back out. All right. And we, and we do this balancing act, and God says, I want you to tip. <laughs> I want you to, to go all in. I want you to be fully invested. I want you to be fully satisfied by me. Because all of those things that you're, you're searching after, all those things that are pleasing to your eye and that are tickling your ear, just distracting. They're just drawing you away. And so we have the opportunity as we put this last piece of the puzzle together to find its true meaning. Remembrance. My wife tells me that I'm getting more and more forgetful put my keys somewhere, and I'm like, what'd you do with my keys? She's like, they're right where you left them, honey. <laughs> A weird way that she says honey, though. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's real love or not. No, she's an incredibly loving woman. But I forget things. And sometimes when I get passionate and excited about things, I forget the things that I should be passionate and excited about. Sometimes when I get passionate and excited about, about things that I see and that I feel and that I touch and that I even hope for and that I dream about, sometimes I lose touch with reality. Ever do that? But the reality that I'm talking about is this, is this 
reality that comes from the revolution. It, it comes from the apprehension of the knowledge that God loves you. From the apprehension of the, the fact that, that life can now no longer continue as it was. Because there is purpose. Because there is meaning. We're not just here to live as dogs. To fulfill our wildest dreams and fantasies. We're not here just to follow instinct. We're here to be a blessing. And in this, this picture of communion, we have the perfect example of Christ. It's for Christians. It's for a person who says, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I desire to live according to His will. And yeah, I'm working out that Romans chapter 7 battle. You know, where I want to do the right thing, and yet sometimes I do the wrong thing. Sometimes I'm a real idiot. Sometimes I'm a real fool. Sometimes I'm oblivious, and sometimes I'm ignorant. But God has placed a seed of faith in my heart. And He is watering it by His Spirit. And I want, more than anything else in the world, I want what He wants. And it's a time for us to celebrate. Had a few conversations, listened in on a few other conversations during the course of the last several weeks where, where many of you were struggling with some of the things that we were talking about in this revolution Struggling with the idea of richly giving. Struggling with the idea of, you know, of service. And we talked about all these different efforts, you know. Oh, you can help out with unseen stories. And, you know, they're trying to break the, uh, they're trying to end child trafficking in Benin, Africa. Amazing things going on. We talked about Porch to Solomon and, and educating the underprivileged children. And providing homes for, for single mothers. People that have been abandoned, cast aside marginalized of society. We talk about here in our own town, Serve Tallahassee, and going out with the mobile food ministry and, and, and serving the homeless and sitting down and having a conversation with them and providing for their health needs. We talked about builder's care and, and going and um, taking care of, of people's homes that are dilapidated and have no funds and no resources to be able to, to live in a home that should be condemned <laughs> to take care of these people. Talk about all these things, and, and what happens is, you know, we, we kind of get that initial, like, you know what, well, I am, I am doing things. I can't do all that. See, I got a busy schedule, and I, and I already give. I give all that I can, and, I, and I'm too busy, and, and you shouldn't be telling me that I need to be doing all these things because that makes me feel bad. You hurt my feelings. And what happened is we took the emphasis off of what was going on and we put the emphasis on ourselves. And we bought the biggest piece of bait the devil holds. And he set the hook square in our jaw. And it's going to hurt. And it's called guilt. See, believe me when I tell you there's nobody that stands on this little tiny stage or sits on this tiny little stage and, and, and uses guilt not our motive. We hate guilt. We despise guilt. If any, of, if any one of the pastors stood up here and used guilt, we would get up the very next week and we would apologize in front of every single one of you. Because guilt is simply not of God. 
But what happens in this thing is we begin to kind of, we're, we're holding up those scales again and we're going, I'm doing so much. And we begin to take the emphasis off of what has already been done. And that's what communion is about. Remembrance. See, Jesus Christ, 100%, absolutely, totally fulfilled the righteous wrath of God. Big word called propitiation. And here it is, you know, when, when we feel guilt, what we've done is we've said, all right, I've done something wrong. Someone has told me I've done something wrong, and I have to feel bad about it. You ever do that to yourself? You do something wrong, and so you sulk? <laughs> You know, you hurt someone else's feelings and they forgive you, but then you are in a bad mood for like a week. You ever do that? That's guilt. That's wrong. And, and, and that isn't what God holds over us. But that's what we do to ourselves because what happens in our head is there's this little thing called our pride. And what happens is we go, all right, I can bear that burden. Throw it on me. And we strap it on and we're like, all right. Not too bad. Still kind of survive. Can move around, do my, my usual duties. Kind of get used to it. Except we start leaning. Or we start falling. We, re, we don't understand. We don't realize that what's happening is we're becoming something other than what we were created to be. And then another situation arises and we throw that in our backpack too. And there's another thing of unforgiveness, and there's another thing of guilt, and there's another thing, and what happens is we're bearing this burden. Took a group of guys to Pine Mountain about a month ago. Walked up and down the mountains, it's about 17 miles. 50-pound packs on our back. After three days, we were hurting. <laughs> we were in pain. Shoulders. There was one quote. I forget who said it. I think he's, my butt is screaming. <laughs> it wasn't Montezuma's revenge, okay? It was, we just hiked up to the peak, you know? But we're bearing that burden and it's so heavy. Martin Luther used to practice a, something called self-flagellation. He had a whip. What do you think is wrong? He'd just sit there and whip the daylights out of himself. Whip himself until he bled. You can imagine what an impact it had on his life when he read Romans. And all of a sudden he found this thing called grace. Grace changes everything. It's a paradigm shift. God's love changes everything. Paul tells us a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting in verse 23, says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. That's the easy part. Oh, yeah. I know that. Matzah cracker equals Jesus' body. 
Grape juice equals his blood. I learned that in Sunday school. I did that at First Communion. I had to recite that. I passed the test. That's the easy part. But the hard part is where the paradigm shift now has to kick in. Where we have to take the knowledge and we have to go, all right, what are my hands going to do? What are my thoughts going to think? Believe me, you are in control of them. And he continues, he says, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. I have conversations with people all the time that are trying to overcome these hurdles, <clears throat> trying to overcome, trying to break out of a cycle, break out of alcoholism or molestation or abuse, personal weaknesses, gender confusion or sexuality issues. Where's personal liberty? Where, where does my personality and my style get to have a place in the kingdom of God? I struggle with lust. I struggle with anger. I'm having an identity crisis. What's going on? All of these sicknesses, all of these weaknesses, all of these things that the body of Christ is suffering because we're not remembering. And so we have the opportunity to go to the table. There's nothing magical. There's nothing no antibiotics in here. You know, there's, there's nothing that is going to cure you. There's no hocus pocus. The remembrance happens when our mind and our heart impacts the truth. And we go, all right. Jesus is the perfect standard. And here I am. Because the other thing that happens in this thing with guilt is guilt tries to find a way to make itself feel better. Why? Because it's based in pride. And pride is all about comparison. Pride is all about me and you. That's what it's about. It's all about me and, and Kev. Kev, I got more hair than you. <laughs> See? There it comes back. I'm smarter. It's the pride. That's how the way that it works. It's always got to be something. I always got to one-up. I always got to move forward. I always got to express myself. And I end up bearing this burden. I end up carrying what I was never intended to carry. And so as we examine ourselves, it's not about the comparison. It's not about the idea of guilt and us having to pay off a debt. Because you can't pay off the debt. Some of you probably have that, that situation with some credit cards. <laughs> Compound interest is a killer. <laughs> Well, now just throw that right into God's economy and understand that Paul goes so far as to say that when you try to work off your debt towards God, when you don't receive grace, but when you beat yourself up, when you try to bear the burden, when you sit there and you stay in a bad mood because you hurt someone else's feelings, what you're doing is you're actually working off your debt. You're trying to and you're never going to win. One day that pack is just going to be too heavy and you're going to find yourself stuck in a revolution. You're going to find yourself stuck in a cycle of life, following the same rabbit trail, repeating the same patterns, 
over and over and over. And God says, I've got a revolution that I want you to be a part of. I've got this radical idea that I love you. I have this crazy thought that I can't live without you. You are the apple of my eye. And as we go into communion, that's the practical aspect of how we're going to come to the table. The worship team is going to come back up and lead us in some worship. And what I want you to do is I want you to take the time to sit there and, and, and for us to reflect, for us to examine ourselves and go, all right, you know what? Where is my heart really not lining up with the heart of Christ? Good question to ask ourselves. Where are my hands not having the fruit that would please God? Where is my heart waking up and the wants and desires of my materialistic mindset and my culture, where have those blocked out and blotted out and marred and scarred and defaced God's purpose for my life? Where am I feasting and others are hungry? And as you sit there and as you work through that and as you Give that to God, and as you release that burden, I really believe that's just as simple as it is. You just simply have to let it go. You just have to get over yourself. <laughs> and that's a constant process. So as we take one more step, as we put our feet back on the path, as we move along the path in, in, our, in our quest for following God's will and doing what He wants us to do, and we sit there and we reconcile and we receive grace and we receive forgiveness. And now the next part of it is what I'd like for you to do is as you come to the table, I don't want you to come alone. I want you to look around you and I want you to wait. I want you to serve the people around you. I want you to, to see if there's anybody that needs prayer. I want you to see if there are any tears running down faces and go get them a tissue. I want you to, to take the hand of a spouse or a loved one or a friend and say, hey, let's go to the table together, fellowship, and let us celebrate, let us, let us enjoy this remembrance of Christ. Let's dance a wild dance. You ever do that? I've seen some of you dance a wild dance. Don't you love that, people that have the ability dance like no one's looking. That is the door of freedom that God has swung wide open to every single one of us. So I want you to dance like no one's looking. I want you to let yourself be loved because you are incredibly precious in my heart. You are incredibly precious in my sight. And that is why Jesus humbled himself, put on flesh, died at 33, his life cut short, a criminal's death in shame and agony so that we might know the depth of his love. Go to the Father. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift that is irrepayable. Lord, we ask that you would just simply move in our hearts and in our minds and that you would break us out of cycles that are not pleasing to you. 
Lord, I pray that you would truly create a paradigm shift in our mind right now. Empower us by your Spirit to move into a place of, of fully enjoying you, of fully pleasing you, of fully being satisfied by you. Lord, forgive us for our sins. And Lord, we thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Help us to rejoice in the blood of Jesus. In his name we pray. Thank you.